Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Over the years, it's created some amazing moments. Waiting for Waterloo by ABBA for Sweden. Watch this one. From this to this. Hard rock, hallelujah! Hard rock, hallelujah! Despite its long history, for Americans, it remains eternally baffling. The Eurovision Song Contest, you know what that is? It remains a relative mystery. Apparently, it's a singing competition, a very, very big, important singing competition. Although, to be honest, the Americans aren't the only ones who are confused. It was announced this week that when it comes to singing, Australia is apparently part of Europe. (laughs) And it's not just about the singing. When it comes to Eurovision, there's always an undercurrent of politics and foreign relations. Georgia is refusing to take part in the Eurovision Song Contest in Moscow. The decision was made after its controversial song was banned. The first entry for West Germany in 1956 in the very first Eurovision was a Jew and a Holocaust Mm -hmm. survivor. Mm -hmm. We see that the contest is being used to express a certain message. A lot of things that uh, I think were very dubious in the voting system. And I don't know how you can cure it. And politics loom large over this year's competition too. In a huge show of public support, Ukraine may have won the contest last year. But with a war still raging there, they won't be able to host the contest. So tomorrow, 37 contestants will battle it out on a stage in Liverpool before we hear those immortal words. The winner of the Eurovision Song Contest is... Although it's being held in Liverpool, how important is this Eurovision to Ukraine? What role will it play in the war effort? We'll hear from one of Ukraine's biggest celebrities, who is herself a former Eurovision contestant and who'll be performing in Liverpool about how her life has changed since Russia invaded the country. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Eurovision 2023, a very political song contest. My 
My name is Tina Carroll. I'm from Ukraine. I'm in Kyiv in Ukraine now. I'm a singer. Tina's being modest. She is a singer, and she represented Ukraine at Eurovision in 2006. But she's also a huge celebrity. She presents Ukraine's version of The Voice and Strictly Come Dancing and received a national award for her role in public life. And tomorrow, she'll perform in Liverpool during the Eurovision flag parade as a reminder of the culture and the country that should be hosting this year. I will sing my song and this is how we defend our culture and of course lift a spirit for our people in Ukraine because they will watching that broadcast and they will be so proud. And for you, you know, you'll be doing it here live in Liverpool. How much does it mean to you to be doing it in the UK? At first, of course, I'm grateful and thankful that Great Britain uh, not just hosting, funding the Eurovision for us. We understand who is our real friend. And second one, a little bit, I feel the pressure because I have a son. He's 14 years old and he studied in Great Britain in a school, in a dark. Really? So for me, this is very challenging time because his friends, they will watching that performance. And he said, mom, I'm so proud of you. Yes, I love you, but please don't be sexy. I have to... <laughs> I have to come back to school like a normal day. <laughs> yes, please cover yourself like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has that changed your outfit choice? Actually, yes, because I showed him like five examples and he say, no, my son, Benjamin, Benjamin. <laughs> he yeah. vetoed them. Yeah, yeah. He say, no, I don't like that. Too sexy. All of them, please change. And actually, I speak with the designer about that and... We little bit change the design. We'll come back to Tina and her wardrobe in a moment. But first, for a little Eurovision update, it's London calling, come in Liverpool, and our man on the ground. My name's Tom Ball, and I'm the Times Northern correspondent, and I'm currently in Liverpool. Tom... Eurovision is about to kick off in Liverpool. What is it like? Is, is the excitement building? It sure is. I just had a, a wander down through the city and for a start, the whole place is bedecked with flags. And if you go down to the Albert Dock, they're serving Ukrainian foods, things like chevereki and borscht. The whole set has also got Solovyeki, which are these nightingales, which are the, the Ukrainians' national birds, and, and each one is singing a different Ukrainian song. So, yeah, as Sam Ryder, who was Britain's contestant and came second last year at Eurovision, said, this is Ukraine's party, but in, in Britain's house. Sounds amazing. And is, is there sort of a real sense of Liverpool showing itself off too? Yeah, it's very much... Scouse Vision as well as Eurovision and Liverpudlian acts like Frankie Goes to Hollywood have been performing. Liverpool's a very proud town and I was just walking around now and they came across an entourage of, of Albanian supporters given their flag that was draped around their shoulders. So I, I'm sure this is um, bringing in lots of people from outside of the city and will, will be a great lift to their economy as well. 
just remind us where it actually comes from. Where, where, where did Eurovision begin and why is it that Australia competes? <laughs> so the, the origins of Eurovision go back to the 1950s, around that sort of post-war period when uh, unity in Europe was very much on everyone's mind and it was roughly around the time that the EU was, was founded and the first ever Eurovision was in 1956. Signore e signori, buonasera. Eccoci giunti alla finale europea dei concorsi della canzone. It was the brainchild of the European Broadcasting Union, which is um, a kind of uh, Europe-wide channel. And they wanted to do something that showed off, really, that they have this capability to, to broadcast in multiple countries at once. So they came up with the idea of a song contest. In that first year, there were seven countries that competed and ever and since I then, imagine it was a very different contest back then. Yeah, it was. I mean, you only had to listen to, to the songs that were being sung then. Tu seras comme tout le monde avec le teint des Cathy. Tu auras le ventre en map monde et toutes les dents des serpents. As compared to the much more up-tempo, glitzy songs that we have today to see that. It's gradually morphed over the years and, and grown hugely. So I think it's now 57 countries in total, including, as you say, Australia and, and Israel, as well as places like Georgia. The reasoning being that Eurovision, despite the name, now sees itself not as being purely European-centric competition, but one that is international and countries that are not part of the European Broadcasting Union can apply for associate membership, which enables them to take part. And it has, over the years, developed a real cult following. Why do you think it's become so popular? I mean, are you a fan? I do like it, I must say. I got into it when I was a kid. I had a friend at school whose family was Greek. One day I happened to be around there at his house and uh, it was the night of Eurovision and they, they insisted that I must stay and watch it with them. And it kind of became a tradition from then that I would go and, and watch it with their family and they were a family of, of Greek Cypriots, and uh, every time the UK voted for Turkey, I'd get all the upholstery chucked at me. <laughs> but um, it's just good fun, really. And there is an element of kitsch to it, but I think that's why people enjoy it so much. And it might seem sort of uh, slightly reasonable to us, but for the people that are performing, it's the biggest shot of their lifetime, and, and they take it incredibly seriously. And just remind us, given that Ukraine did win and... The UK came second. Just remind us how we've got to the, the to a point where Liverpool is actually hosting. The winner wins the right to host the following year's competition. So Ukraine having won last year would automatically have hosted this year. However, the organisers decided that it was too much of a safety risk to to host the competition in Ukraine. Ukraine did put forward a programme that it said was safe and, and was keen to host, but the organisers said no. And as Britain came second, that right to host was then passed over to us. Several cities put forward their bids and a selection panel hosted by the BBC eventually chose Liverpool. There's always been accusations that the voting is slightly rigged and there is a bit of politics that gets played out on the night. Was Ukraine's victory one of those moments? Was that Europe making a, a quite political declaration? 
I think that's certainly fair to say. Kalush Orchestra, Ukraine's entry last year that one did put forward a really great song. But I think there was certainly a level of solidarity in the voting that, that propelled them to, to victory. Ukraine! There is lots of precedence to this. Ukraine itself has won twice before in the past in the wake of Russia's annexation of, of Crimea and 2004 in the midst of the, the Orange Revolution. So politics has always been quite heavily ingrained within Eurovision as much as the, the organisers would like to say that it isn't. In Ukraine itself, Eurovision will be a welcome distraction. When I spoke to the Ukrainian singer Tina Carroll, she was still in Kyiv, where the sound of drone attacks had kept her awake the night before. But 15 months ago, before the war began, her life couldn't have been more different. Oh, it was touring, performing, interviews. I have my fun that care about the kids who ill cancer, and I work a lot for that. But when the war started, the mission of my life changed. I am today like a culture diplomat, and I want to build the bridge between Ukraine and the rest of the world to show how beautiful our country, how brave is our soldier, how strong will we have, who we are, yeah. And just tell us, for you, how have you gone about doing that? You know, you've stayed in Kyiv, you haven't left, you haven't gone and lived somewhere safer. How are you still managing to do what you do as a singer, as uh, a TV personality during a war? I make a lot of fundraising shows. This is uh, part of my life because I grew up like a singer in a forces military orchestra. <laughs> I start my career. Really, you started your career in the military? Yes, I grew up like forces a forces singer. <laughs> so, yeah, forces singer. So, <laughs> sweetheart, forces. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then my song started to be very popular. So then I changed my career, of course. I became to be like a pop star singer, yeah? But I'm always with my military orchestra. And for me, it was normal to go in Ukraine on the front line and sing for the troops. I'm so proud of that. If you will ask, what is the best your performance? I will say that when I perform for the troops in the front line. This is more than pop stage. This is when you give a hope, when you give a joy. You see that eyes and they start sparkling. Yeah, for me, it's incredible time. You've been doing that during this war. Just how dangerous was that? Did it feel like it was you were taking yes, a big I risk? Yes, I feel it was dangerous, of course. 
It was very close. I can't say where and how. <laughs> At first, I'm afraid, but then I just, come on, I want to give them more, more, more. And it's not just the soldiers on the front line who you've been doing that for, you know, trying to build up morale again. But is it true that you actually ended up presenting the Voice Ukraine from a bomb shelter? This year, the Voice Ukraine was in bomb shelter. Yes, absolutely. For me, this is huge family, the voice in Ukraine. So that year, yeah, that show was in bomb shelter. This is part of resistance, like uh, nobody will kill our culture, like yeah, nobody will say us to stop. And Tina, since the war broke out in Ukraine, one of the most famous people in the world now is President Zelensky. A lot of people hadn't heard of him before the war, but he's an absolute icon now, really. You've known him for years. Tell us a bit about that. We know each other more than 18 years, like from the beginning of my career. Yeah, I perform on his shows. He was an actor. He's incredible, incredible guy with a huge heart and very humble person. He always was intelligent. He always was smart. And now he gives hope to people. He inspired the nation to be brave. And I'm proud of him as a leader of our country. I received the Princess Olga third degree from him. This is a big national award. Yeah, this is an award for the woman for outstanding service to the state. And Tina, during this war, how important have songs and music been to the people of Ukraine? Very important because this is, you know, like a blanket when you can hide and listen to the music and take the bad things from your heart away. So this is a strong weapon. How important will Eurovision be to people back at home, back in Ukraine? Eurovision is, has amazing ability to bring people together and through the art, through the music, uh, lift the spirit. And um, we can talk about the freedom for the whole world. This is a huge message. It also seems to be quite important in Ukrainian resistance. You know, we've sort of heard songs like Shavona Kalina. Yeah, thank you. Pull the You're country good. together. <laughs> yes, Shavona Kalina, it's an amazing song. It's very old, very, very old, but our amazing singer, Andrei Hlivnyuk from Boombox, he sang that in the center of the Kiev when the war started and that song started to be huge, yeah? Like the song of resistance. You want to listen? Was... You want to hear? Yes. Can you sing us a bit? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you lose the kalina, pochylilася, чогось наша славна Україна зажурилася. That's incredible. 
It's such an inspiring song. And for people who haven't seen it, that, that scene you were describing of the lead singer from Boombox standing in a square in Kiev, yes. singing it on yeah. his own while dressed as a soldier, was a great moment for people to come and join the resistance. Yeah, he's a soldier now. Even in my team, the dancers, the videographers, uh, photographers, everybody today defends the country. From Kyiv to Liverpool. Coming up, we'll find out why they've had to draft in cybersecurity experts for Eurovision this year. That's in just a moment. Back in Liverpool, our Northern correspondent Tom Ball has been speaking to this year's entrant from Ukraine, the Nigerian-Ukrainian electronic performers Tervorchi. They're a duo from Ternopil, which is in western Ukraine. Yesterday, we were supposed to go in the Eurovision Village for interview, and I said, let's use taxi, and our manager said, no, let's walk. And we just went outside like a few meters and the rain started, so we came all wet. This, this happens a lot. In, in and you know what's funny? After that, sun started like summer. I was like, what? <laughs> Very changeable weather. Yeah, I can only apologize. <laughs> <laughs> they met as students, both studying pharmacology. A few years ago, Andri, who's the producer, just came up to, to Jeffrey, who's the singer, randomly in the street and they've had several number one hits in Ukraine already and um, the song Heart of Steel which they will be performing on on Saturday night had actually been written prior to their bid to become Ukraine's entry for the competition. Sometimes you just gotta know when to stick your middle finger up in the air. Yeah, because this song we didn't wrote specifically for contest. Yeah. It was uh, just, you know, for our future album. And then one day before the um, application ends, we decided to apply because we thought like we have a song to inspire the Ukrainians, first of all. It was written about the Ukrainian soldiers who were surrounded in the Azostal steelworks last year. Lights go. Which means, despite all pain, I continue my fight. Even if the world is on flames, I will still do something. It's a very pertinent and has a lot of emotional resonance. As they said, you know, it's not just about the guys that are in Azastal, but for all Ukrainian people now who find themselves beleaguered and, and under attack. When we were trying to record the uh, remix of uh, Heart of Steel, <laughs> even the Eurovision version, it was just difficult. You know, there was uh, no electricity for most of the time. It was every day. And air alarms. <laughs> and so then like, air alarms were there as well. <laughs> light go, start, goes on, and you're like, ura! And then air alarm was like, okay, <laughs> go in the shelter. What did they tell you about how it felt to be here, to be representing their country at a time like this? Was there a sense of this being almost sort of part of their patriotic duty at a time of war? Yeah, I mean, these are guys who have 
played on the back of armoured vehicles in military camps around Ukraine, rallying the soldiers. So they're very aware of how powerful their music can be. And they played recently a gig in, in Lviv, and they said that there were tears in, in the audience's eyes as they were singing along to this track. So these are two young guys and they could quite easily be conscripted, but their feeling is that whilst they're absolutely ready ready to fight, this is what they know how to do best. We're ready when, when the time comes, but till then, let's make music and we are trying to help as much as we can. They're not just providing an artistic purpose, but perhaps also there's a sense that the music is also a rallying cry and a way of keeping morale high for, for people back home. And given that so much of this ceremony, even though it's in Liverpool, will be really about re- Ukraine, it wants to reflect Ukrainian flavour, will Russia be competing? No, it won't be. They had been due to compete last year, but were disqualified from doing so because of the invasion. And are there any worries that Russia will in some way try to sabotage the night? There have been fears that, particularly with Russia's cyber capabilities, that there might be some kind of attempt to derail proceedings. As my colleague Patrick Maguire reported last week, the experts from the the National Cyber Security Centre have been drafted in to try and head off any of those sorts of attempts. So if all goes well, tomorrow night, 37 countries will battle it out for the Eurovision title. After her performance, Tina will be indulging in some of her favourite things here in Britain. After the performance, I will go to Derby and visit my son and have my favourite things. I will eat uh, fish and chips. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And I understand you take a little bit of England back with you sometimes too. Tell me, tell me about your garden. I have a lot of roses in my garden. I like English roses. And uh, from that roses, I can make the jam and liqueur. So I will be waiting for you in Ukraine for my <laughs> jam and liqueur. <laughs> wow. So you, you make a, a Ukrainian liqueur out of English English, English Ukrainian. <laughs> English Ukraine, that's a perfect mix. Yeah, perfect mix, absolutely. Tina, speaking of perfect Ukrainian-English mixes, you'll be singing the Ukrainian national anthem here in England, and you've done that before, in Liverpool, in fact, at, at, at a football match. How much does that mean to you, to be able to make sure that your national anthem is being heard right now? This is how you unite the people. This is the most important song in my life. You want to hear? Yes. Щене вмерли України, ні слава, ні воля. Щена братя українці усміхнеться доля. This is resistance. This is how we can defend the country. I will feel like I'm a soldier on a stage. I'm a soldier, yes. <laughs> I'm so proud. Thank you for that. 
You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Ukrainian singer, campaigner, philanthropist and celebrity, Tina Carroll, and The Times' northern correspondent, Tom Ball. You can find all of Tom's work and our coverage of Eurovision at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producers today were Olivia Case and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. I hope you have a lovely weekend and enjoy Eurovision. Oh,